There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. God's word, Exodus 27, and look at verse number 3. Now, we we read last week and we preached last week about the altar, the altar, and how that is a picture of the cross of Calvary and uh, had a blessed time there, spending some time at the foot of the cross. But we read over something, and I did not put much emphasis in it, but as I thought about things through the week, I I wanted to make a focal point on verse number 3. So as we're talking about the making of the tabernacle, look at the altar, look at verse number 3. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, and his fire pans, all the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to spend, we've been doing this for several weeks now, we've been going through the tabernacle and looking at different elements in the tabernacle. And I want to focus in very briefly tonight on the utensils of the brazen altar, the utensils of the brazen altar. Now, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share with you a little bit about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I am so glad, as we've sung about it tonight in several songs, that I have the hope of heaven, that I have the hope of being reunited with loved ones that have gone before, that I have the hope of knowing that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that I'll never encounter the wrath and the just deserts of God that I so richly am, am entitled to. Oh, but God, in your grace and mercy, I'll walk on streets of gold. I'll see gates of pearl. I'll live in a mansion. Praise God. I will also see my Savior face to face. Oh, God, and I thank you for the hope that one day I'll see you face to face. But, Father, as we're here in this earthen tabernacle, in this journey, this sojourn in a foreign land, Father, I pray that you'd help us to see you and what you've done in these elements of the tabernacle. And, Father, I pray that you would uh, guide me through these scriptures. Father, keep me from wrong thinking and heresy and, 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 and wrong teaching, Father. But God, I pray that our hearts would be devotionally led to look at these very important utensils that you had prepared for the tabernacle. And Father, whatever you do tonight, God, we will give you praise and honor because you're the only one that's worthy. You're the only one that can take these simple illustrations and and make application in our heart. And and by the Holy Spirit of God, you can can strengthen us by this one out of the way, uh, easily glossed over verse. Father, you can fill us with strength and glory, and, uh, and you can give us uh, the, the strength that we need to make it from day to day and something we can glean from for years to come. Father, we just pray you'd have your will and way. Do that mystery that you do when men take the Word of God and preach. 
and help our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. There is a very inherent danger in what I have been doing over the past few weeks on this Sunday night. Going through the tabernacle. I've talked with several pastors and they'll ask me, what am I doing here and what are we doing? And I told them we're talking about, we're doing the tabernacle on Sunday nights. And it is a great study, don't get me wrong. It is a blessing to study the tabernacle. But much of it is, is very subjective, okay? There are a lot of things that you can draw from that maybe God didn't intend us to draw from. It may be that they're brazen pegs just because they're brazen pegs. It may be that they're just cords because there's just cords to hold the thing up. You know, but, and that's the case. You know, we have to be very careful here and not to, not go too deeply into things that may not have spiritual significance and over, kind of overemphasize some things that God may never intend us to do. That reminds me about a person that was bragging on their pastor one time and he was telling somebody, he says, yeah, when my pastor preaches, he preaches things that ain't even there. Now, I know... Now, now, I know what they mean. They mean they're, they're seeing things that they never saw before. But a lot of times that may be true. I don't want to be guilty of preaching things that just flat ain't there. But, as, but on the contrary, you know, there are, there are deep things of God. There are things that are not easily gleaned or gathered from the surface and must be, uh, how can I say this, they must be meditated on. They must be chewed upon. David, when he, when he talked about how that he meditated on the Word of God, he used a word that would emphasize how that a cow chews the cud. They sit there and they think about it and think about it and think about it. Well, these are some things that I've been thinking about all week. And, and although maybe, uh, maybe there's loose application, but I think enough application that can be helpful in our Christian walk. And so I want to tell you this. Every child of God here today can glean valuable insight into the Savior's death and the saint's life by taking a close look at these utensils that are used at the brazen altar. What did I say? The Savior's death and the Christian's life can be seen in these utensils. Now the first utensil, I want you to go back, look at verse number 3. We'll look at the first utensil. Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes. His pans. I want to title this, The Consumption of the Sacrifice. Now remember, all of these have to do with the brazen altar and the burning sacrifice where the wood was laid on that grate and how that the lamb or the bullock or the turtle dove or whatever was placed on that fire and it was burned. These all have to do with or centered around, all these utensils are centered around this, uh, this altar of sacrifice. Now all the utensils which we will refer to in this study are made of brass, which all you, we've talked about that, Brass always signifies God's judgment. The pans themselves were made, were made of this brass and they were used to receive the ashes, to remove them. If you'll notice in verse number 3, it said, Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, uh, to, to also remove them. Now remember, remember how we talked about the altar. How that the altar was a seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot rather large 
empty box. It had no bottom to it. All it, all it had was a metal grate. When I say grate, it, remember last week I talked to you, it's kind of like chicken wire, but it's not. It's, it's kind of like big, thick, laid across uh, pieces of brass that made a grate. And they would take that wood and lay it on that grate and they would take that sacrifice and lay it on there. The fire would be transferred to it and it would be consumed. Now as that sacrifice would be consumed, all of the ashes that were on that grate would fall through the grate and down onto what I believe are these pans underneath the sacrifice. Now Leviticus tells us that these ashes were very special and they were taken care of. They were actually taken from that altar and carried outside the camp to a clean place. And so God intended for them to be caught by something. And that's what these pans represent. The catching of those ashes. And I believe these signify that the fire had done its work. Every bit of the sacrifice was to be consumed in the fire. And all of those ashes, all of that wood, the ash would fall through the grate. All of that burnt offering and burnt flesh and and the skin of that animal would be burnt through that fire and would fall down to this pan. There is a sense that it signifies a finished work. It, it, is, it is seen that this work is complete. That is a complete consummation of this sacrifice. Complete consuming of the wood and that the sacrifice itself has been acceptable unto God. Remember we found that those ashes last week, they fell into the grate, the smoke ascended unto God, and God's just demands were met at the altar. God smells that sacrifice. He he smells it and says it's a sweet savor. Why? Because they've met my demands. They've come my way. They've done what I've asked them to. They've met me on my terms. But the ashes signify the completed work of sacrifice. On the cross, our Lord Jesus endured the fires of God's judgment upon sin in its totality. It said in Isaiah 53, 6, The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. When Jesus was in that garden of Gethsemane and He looked down into that cup and said, God, take this cup from me. He looked down and saw all of our sin. The sin of all mankind from the very first sin in the Garden of Eden to the very last sin in in time and eternity. He saw it all and took it all upon Himself. The ashes of His sacrifice can be seen of the words of the cross. It is finished. It is a complete and whole sacrifice unto God. That expresses the death of the Savior. But now let's look at it from the living or the life of the saint. These ashes remind us of God's completely complete acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. Do you realize that? That when Jesus died on that cross, even thousands of years before you were ever born, your very first and last sin 
has been placed on Jesus and burned in His body on the cross and burned and taken in completion, the complete sacrifice of Jesus means that as Roman 8, 1 says, therefore now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You know, Satan likes to come around and remind us of our sin, doesn't he? Oh, son, he'll remind you of sins that were 20, 30, 40 years ago in the past. He'll remind you of sins last week. He loves to come around and to do those. But realize this, all Satan is doing is kicking up ashes. (laughs) That's all he can do. He can kick those ashes. He can make a mess. He can make a stink with those ashes. But truth be known, the sacrifice was settled. It was accepted. Jesus is buried and is alive today and alive forevermore. All He can do is kick up ashes. If you're saved by the grace of God, you have been justified. No more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus That doesn't give you a license to go out and live lasciviously. That makes a mockery of the grace and the mercy of God. But what it does tell us is that I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. I live in a state of justification before an almighty God. It speaks of the consumption of the sacrifice. Those ashes are being dealt with. Notice, second of all, not only the consumption of the ashes, but the conveyor, the consumption of the sacrifice, but the conveyance of the sacrifice. Notice our next item. He said, make in verse number three, he shall make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels. Shovels. Now, these shovels were used to take the burning coals off of the altar. Like, let's say, We're in the midst of a sacrifice here and we've got this wood that's burning and we've got these animals that's burning on top of it. Uh, Some some, uh, priest may come by and he'll take this shovel and he'll put it into the fire and take from it those hot glowing members. You ever been to those little weenie roasts we have over there and Brother Tony or Brother... um, Uh, Brother David will start us a fire and it'll have those red hot embers in the middle of that fire. And you can see them glow late at night when we're fixing to leave. They'll glow in that fire. One of those priests would come by and they would reach in with that shovel and pick up that hot coal. And then he would place it into the censer, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then it'll be carried into that Uh, into that tabernacle proper and to that altar of incense and that live coal from the altar that the shovel picked up will be placed on that altar and give another sweet smelling fragrance unto Almighty God. It teaches us about the, 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 the taking of the, uh, of the embers from the fire for the table of incense, but, or the altar of incense. But also, it's used to transfer the ashes. We read about that in verse number three. Thou shalt, Uh, make pans to receive his ashes and his shovels. These shovels were used to take and and to clean out these ashes. You imagine those pans down there. They had several pans, I would imagine, and pans underneath the grate, and they had pans on the outside, and that priest would get down in there, and he would take that shovel and lift up those ashes and put them in those pans and get all those ashes out, and then one man from the priesthood would take those ashes to the outside of the camp and dump them in a clean place, in a place away 
from the camp. These suggest to us the faithfulness of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus never avoided the encounter with the cross. Do you realize that? You remember in Mark that Jesus would go into certain scenes and he would not, he would not bend to the left and bend to the right, but he would tell his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be arrested, I'll be hung on the cross of Calvary, and three days later, I'll be raised from the dead. It was a twofold work of ridding our sins and bringing us to God. Remember, I told you those shovels were used to take the embers. To the, uh, to the fire pans and into the, into the, or the incense burners and into the tabernacle and it was used to take care of those ashes and take them outside. Here the Lord Jesus fulfills that two-fold role in first of all, ridding our sins, being done with them. Those shovels remind us that our sins have been dealt with. They've been carried away. They've been taken outside the camp, never to be found. God's Word says as far as the east is from the west, I have removed thy sins. He's placed them behind His back. As a matter of fact, Colossians 2.14 says that He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, carrying them out of the way and nailing them to the cross. And then also, Jesus makes a way in the God. Not only do those shovels take those ashes and make it to where they can be taken out of the camp, but also those shovels are used to bring something in to the holy place, to bring something in uh, 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 to that altar of incense. You see, by the sacrifice of Jesus, a living way has been made, a way into God, a way uh, through to God by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus fulfilled both Hebrews Hebrews 12, uh, 2 said that He endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 5, 8 says, Though He was a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Philippians 2, 8, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The faithfulness in the labors of the cross of Calvary. Now just as our Lord Jesus was faithful in His work on the cross, so should we be faithful in our work. Remember I told you, we're going to learn about the, uh, the Lord Jesus dying, or the, the Savior dying, and the saint living. And that's expressed in this shovel as well. We should be faithful in our work as well. We should be faithful in putting away any remnant. Any, any defilement of sin. Taking those ashes and putting them out of our life. Tending to the fire of God in our heart. Oh, listen, these shovels ought to remind us that we ought to tend to our heart. That we ought to tend to the fire. These shovels were also used to take, to take and to place wood onto the fire. To feed the fire. These shovels were used uh, to take uh, some of, the, uh, some of the, the chips of wood and the things that would be burned and place them on the altar. This shovel reminds us that we ought to tend the fire. So many times we don't tend the fire, do we? We'll let the fire get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. We won't tend to it. We'll leave it alone. And that fire that once blazed hot with the sacrifice of the cross goes to a burning ember 
and begins to be snuffed out. Oh, we need to take these shovels and tend to the fire. We need to take these shovels and be seeking to a, a seeking fellowship with God in prayer. Having, having in our Christian life the labor. Listen, prayer's not easy. These shovels speak of labor and of faithfulness. Listen, having a prayer life is not easy. It's difficult. If there's anything that's going to fight you is the devil when you start having a prayer life. When you start bowing that knee. What is it the old saying says that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on their knees? If he's going to fight anything, he's going to fight prayer. But we are to be diligent. We are to be laboring in getting those hot embers and getting them into the tabernacle and going into God in prayer. This is the, the conveyance of the sacrifice. These shovels, they conveyed things having to do with the sacrifice. Third thing is this. The covering of the sacrifice. The covering of the sacrifice. Notice the third thing mentioned in our verse. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins. His basins. Now these basins, these bronze basins were made and they're mentioned here uh, for the catching of the blood of the sacrifice. You see, that man would come in with that animal and he would place his hand on that sheep or that goat or bullock or turtle dove and he would say this animal is going to take my sin then that man himself would take a knife and he would slice the throat of that animal and that animal would begin to bleed through that throat the basin was brought in to catch the blood and all of that animal's blood would be poured out into that basin and so you'd have there this this bloody basin full of blood many scholars believe that these that these basins had no uh, flat bottom. They were either rounded or cone-shaped in the bottom, teaching us that the blood uh, is not to be trifled with. The blood is a serious matter. The blood is not to be set aside and laid around. It is to be the preeminent thing in the, in the activity of the tabernacle. But here we find that these basins were construction. The blood was caught in the basin which allowed it to be carried to various places when it was sprinkled. You know, realize that they would take that blood from that sacrifice and they would take it from that basin, put it on its thumb, and they would put it on the horns of the altar. They would take that basin of blood and they would put their finger in it and they would sprinkle all of the articles of furniture with that blood. Do you realize that that they took uh, uh, that blood and even so far is as they would sprinkle the people with that blood showing the atonement that has been made. It suggests atonement. The word atonement means covering. You know, in, in Noah's day when Noah was building the ark, God told him to take pitch, tar, and to put it on the inside of the boat. You know that word tar or pitch there that's used is the exact same word of atonement, a covering, a seal that's been made. This blood represents the atonement for our sins. Uh, Jesus Christ is the atonement. He's the covering of our sins in His selfless death 
on the cross, He shed His precious blood to make atonement, a covering for all believers uh, that would come, that would place their trust in Him. He emptied Him, uh, He emptied Himself completely at the cross of our sin. Just like that animal sacrifice would let, with the blood would be let out of its body until the last drop would drop from its body. So the Lord Jesus shed His precious blood on Calvary's cross, gave every precious drop of that untainted, unsinful, untainted by the sin of Adam blood on Calvary's cross for our atonement. He was completely given over on the cross for sin. Hebrews 13, 12, Wherefore also that He might sanctify the people with His own blood suffered without the gate. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. These basins remind us of the blood that Jesus said. This basin filled with blood dispels our hopes of self-righteousness. This basin full of blood dispels the hope of our work righteousness. Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed, blessed is, the, is, the, is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is atoned, covered by the blood of sacrifice. One author said, By the blood of Christ our sins, our iniquities are thus put out of sight and, and God now declares that He will remember them no more. The blood in the basin means I'm justified. Just like those ashes speak of an acceptable sacrifice, that blood states that my sins have been remiss. They've been covered. They've been cleansed completely from my record. I am justified. The blood in the basin means that the wrath of God has been stayed. But also speaks to the uh, to the believer as well. Listen to First Peter two one, talking about the believers there that he's writing to. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto the unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, it's that same blood in the basin that speaks not only of the Savior's death, but it speaks of the Christian's life. My life has been, uh, the blood has been applied to my life. The judgment and the wrath that I should have incurred has been met by the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary. 1 John 1, 7, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. This is the covering of the sacrifice. The conveyance in the, in the shovels of the sacrifice. The consumption in the pans of the sacrifice. Notice also, I want you to see the constraint of the sacrifice. The constraint. Notice verse number 3. His shovels receive his ashes. Or excuse me, his pans receive his ashes. His shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks. Flesh hooks. Now, the flesh hooks were used to arrange the pieces of sacrifice on the altar. Now, you'll, rem- uh, you'll remember, I believe I spoke about it last week, how that that sacrifice did not just have its neck uh, slit and the blood drained from it, but actually the sacrifice was dissected. 
was dissected into individual parts and pieces all together to a plan or, or a set precedence by God. Actually, the entrails were washed and the legs were washed. Then they were put on the fire. The animal was dissected. In order to make sure that these animal parts were burned properly and were properly consumed, there would often be the necessity of reaching into that fire and positioning that sacrifice in a proper place. That's what these flesh hooks were used for. The sons of Eli perverted their use. I don't know if you recall about the sons of Eli, but, but what they would do is they would use these flesh hooks and they would dip them down into the altar and they would pull out the best prime parts of meat for themselves. They were using these flesh hooks as a cloak of maliciousness, as a, as a lasciviousness to feed their own flesh. It was wrongly used by the sons of Eli. Concerning the Lord Jesus, these flesh hooks speak of the steadfastness of the Savior's work on the cross. The steadfastness. When Jesus was, was, when Jesus, uh, was, an, uh, when Jesus was heading towards uh, Jerusalem, it was an angry beehive of hate and death towards Him. And yet, what did He do? He set His face like a flint. He was constrained to that cross. Even the pleadings with God in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He was constrained, if you will. He was flesh hooked even unto that cross. You see, and there on that cross, he could have called, you know as well as I do, he could have called, he told Peter, I could call legions of angels down in a moment and set me free. But yet Christ in that cross, it was said of him, he saved others and yet himself, he cannot save. Oh, no, that's not true. He could have saved himself, but the love of he had for his father, the love he had for you and I, constrained him to that cross. It's like we're all, all the time usually saying the nails didn't necessarily keep Jesus on the cross. It was His love for His Father and His love for you and I that kept Jesus on that cross. That is exactly we see these flesh hooks. Jesus' steadfastness in the face of, of His death. We see also, now that would be what? The Savior's death. Now what about the saint's life? You remember Romans 12.1? It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, our lives are to be lived as a living sacrifice. But all too often, you know it as well as I do, all too often a living sacrifice likes to crawl off the fire, doesn't it? A living sacrifice likes to roll over off of the heat. A living sacrifice likes to find a little corner to hide in the altar and to get away from the fire. And we need these same flesh hooks to draw us into a complete surrender to God. What pulls us back into a steadfast life of self-sacrifice? I believe the Apostle Paul said it best in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that the love that Jesus gave me is the whole reason I sacrificed myself on the cross. The very same love that Jesus had for his father and his, and his children and those that would be saved and the whole world is what kept Jesus on the cross. The same love is what causes us every day to sacrifice self. Paul said, I die daily. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were lost, then all were dead. And that if he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto Him which died for them and rose from the dead. It is the same love of Christ that held Him to the cross that holds us on the sacrifice of our lives. On the sacrifice on the altar of our lives. It is a love for Jesus Christ. Boy, sometimes I wish there were real flesh hooks that would get me back in line and straighten me out. But you know there really is. If you'll begin to open that Bible and make your way down down the Villa Del Rosa, down the Calvary's brow to the cross of Calvary. If you look through the eyes of Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, and John at the cross of Calvary, oh, there's your flesh hooks. There's what ought to draw you back to live your life, give your life a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus. The constraint of the sacrifice. Finally, and lastly, I want you to see the continuance of the sacrifice. The continuance. Look at what it said in verse number 3. Thou shalt, make his, uh, thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans and all the vessels thereof shall be made of brass. Notice the last one there, fire pans. These fire pans or censers as they're referred to in other places were connecting the altar of incense with the brazen altar. Remember I told you they'd take that shovel and they'd get down in that fire and they'd pick up those hot coals and then they would put them in these fire pans, brazen fire pans. And then they'd take those fire pans into the tabernacle to place them on the altar of incense. You see, it formed a link between the two altars. The glowing embers of fire were used to ignite the incense in the tabernacle proper to fill the place with a fragrant aroma that was pleasing unto God. Although the fires of the altar represent the wrath of God, it also speaks of the passion and love that, uh, that burned in the Savior's heart to deal with the matter of sin and accomplish man's redemption. You see, these embers and this fire and these fire pans speak to a passion, a zeal, a love for God that brings us from the altar into a place of communion uh, at the altar of incense. In doing what Jesus did on the cross, in doing so, Jesus became our mediator. These fire pans represent a mediator between the sacrifice of the cross with intimacy with God. The Lord Jesus became our mediator, our great high priest. Jesus always has the ear of the Father. Whatever the Son asks, the Father does. And thereby, these fire pans and the sacrifice of the cross, we're invited to join in in that, in that communion with, the, with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is believed also 
that these fire pans were used to carry the fire from one place to another. Now remember what I told you. Every part of the tabernacle could be torn down, packed up, and carried a great distance because it had to be mobile. They were going to move. They may, they may stay in one place two or three years, but then the pillar of fire would move. The people would gather up the tabernacle and begin to make their way to follow that. Everything had to be mobile. Everything had to be movable. Now, when God sanctified this tabernacle, He sent fire from heaven to ignite the sacrifice. You ever heard the story of Elijah and how that he prayed down fire from heaven? Well, it wasn't the first time that happened. That actually happened on the day that the tabernacle was sanctified, was set up and finally used. God sent fire from heaven to ignite the sacrifice. God's command was that that very fire would continue to burn all the days of the tabernacle. That means that very same fire had to continue to burn. To burn and burn. They had to transfer that fire from one place to the next. And so while while they went from one place to another, they would use these fire pans to carry those hot coals to start another fire. It was that same original fire and God's command was, don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. Keep the fire burning. Keep the passion burning. Keep the love of Jesus Christ. I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. But listen, that fire is to always be burning in our heart. If that fire cools, if that fire uh, goes out, we've got a problem. We need to take care of and have God ignite our hearts once again. Oh, but listen, the key is, is to keep the fire burning. It's to stir ourselves, as the Apostle Paul told Timothy, stir ourselves in the embers of our love for Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross would grow hot and love and zeal for the Lord Jesus. It speaks to us of our zeal, our love for God, not our communion with God, but also having the fire to continue to burn in our own hearts. It's a wide array of utensils. And they're spread. And I, I know that this is more devotional. This is more, uh, more easily uh, kind of broken down. But the truth be known is that every one of us would greatly benefit by honoring the Savior's death by recognizing what these utensils represent and implementing in the saint's life what these, what these uh, uh, utensils were used for. I believe we can draw good and proper application. The tabernacle is such a divine design that from almost any angle, And any place we can glean spiritual help in any aspect of the tabernacle. Let's all stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to ask you this. What is it, what utensil does God need to help you with? Is it the labor of the shovel? Faithfulness. Faithfulness of the shovel. Is it the realization of... Listen, a lot of people have problems with this. Is it the realization that the sacrifice of Jesus is enough? Is enough to take care of all our sins? A lot of us get dealt with by the devil and he'll want to kick ashes in our face and try to get us to forget that those ashes mean that God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. What is it? Maybe it's about the blood. The blood, the atonement. Maybe we haven't, maybe you don't emphasize that blood. Listen, the blood of Jesus Christ plays a special role 
in the whole of Scripture. Right? It's only by the blood that the forgiveness of sins comes. What about those flesh hooks? Oh, my goodness. You see, that really spoke to my heart. There are so many times, and I know I'm supposed to be super spiritual here, and the pastor, but there's so many times that I slide off the altar, that I roll down, want to hide in a corner. I don't want to burn anymore. I want to, I want to take a back seat for a while. Oh, that God would take the cross, take that love for Jesus and pull me back to where the fire is the hottest, to where my life can be consumed as a sweet fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a flesh hook problem. Maybe it's a continuance problem. Maybe the fire has dwindled. God said, don't let the fire out. Boy, that's a good message. A friend of mine preached it. I'm looking to copy his outline and preach it myself. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let it go dim. Those fire pans were there to preserve that fire that God did divinely on a certain day. Hey, God planted a fire in our heart when He saved us. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let it cool. Oh, listen. It is that fire, that passion, that zeal, that love for the Lord Jesus that every one of us need. I'm trusting to the unseen. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The unseen hand